TomDispatch.com. This is TomCast. Interviews and insight from Tom Dispatch contributors for anyone seeking a deeper understanding of our post-9-11 world and a clear sense of how our global imperial system actually works. I'm Timothy McBain. Recently, I had the pleasure of speaking again with Peter Van Buren, a 24-year State Department employee, Tom Dispatch regular, and author of We Meant Well, How I Helped to Lose the Battle for the Hearts and Minds of the Iraqi People. Peter talked with me about some issues that are currently on his mind, as well as the content of his upcoming book, which is a work of not-so-fictional nature. I'd like to talk about a, a world where we didn't have to talk about the United States of America torturing people. This afternoon, uh, I saw the news and learned that uh, another prisoner died in in Guantanamo, and supposedly uh, his death is being investigated, but somehow it'll all end up that it was natural causes, as if uh, putting a man in prison indefinitely, torturing him, mistreating him, and telling him he's got no hope whatsoever would somehow end up being a natural cause death. I don't see those things adding up together. At the same time, the news tells me that whoever the number two guy in al-Qaeda is, he got killed today by an American drone in Yemen. So you'd think things would be taken care of. The number one guy, uh, Osama bin Laden, got killed last year, and as we heard at the Democratic Convention, he is still dead. Then, today, the number two guy got killed, and certainly anyone who uh, reads the news knows that we've killed the number three guy in al-Qaeda about ten different times. That's the world's worst job, by the way. We've got some people still locked up in Guantanamo, and we don't really know who they are or why they're there, and we don't know what's being done to them. And this all raises very, very sad questions on the anniversary of 9-11, about what's become of us, what's become of, of, of the United States. America is a very unique place, and I understand that uh, in Tom's introduction to my article today, he raises some questions about the concept of American exceptionalism, and I, I don't disagree. What I think is unique about America, what, what is exceptional, is that America was one of the few, if not the only country, that was founded on a set of ideas, on a theory, that people could self-govern themselves, that government could emerge from the people, and that if the people disliked their government or found it uh, not to their, their satisfaction, they could change it. Along the way, the government would stay out of people's lives. We codified that into the Bill of Rights, And on September 10th, 12 years ago, most Americans believed that they did have the right to speak out freely, and they didn't have to worry about that. They were secure in believing that their telephone calls and their emails and their web searches were all not part of the government's business. And now, 12 years later, the freedoms that we've tried to preserve, we've actually thrown away ourselves. The government routinely now reads our emails and studies what we do on the web and and listens to our phone calls and makes no bones about that. Free speech is something that is increasingly hard to to pay for. 
if you want to protest anywhere near the president, you're going to be corralled off uh, to the side someplace. And if you step out of line, you're going to find yourself with a billy club in your face or tear gas. It becomes almost self-fulfilling cynicism to say that, well, the United States now isn't so free, but we have to do that to protect ourselves. And the United States tortures people because we do, and that's okay. And the United States assassinates people with, with our drones, and that's okay, too. And it's very easy to slip into a cynical mode and, and kind of just roll your eyes and say that's the way it is. I fight that feeling on a, on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. And I implore all the, the readers out there to do the same. If we slide into that criticism, that, that cynicism, that, that acceptance of things and, and walling ourselves off from it, we then give up the chance of, of, of accomplishing anything. That leads me to the projects that I'm working on now, and, and much of the same problem. The, the thing I'm working on right now is, is a second book, uh, called uh, a form of what I call semi-fiction. Uh, non-fiction, the way my first book we meant well was, uh, unfortunately ended up costing me my job and, and too much in lawyers. So I'm writing what I call semi-fiction now, at least be able to hide uh, behind some characters and hopefully avoid uh, the, the legal problems. And what I'm talking about in, in the book is the 99%, the economic changes that have occurred in the United States over the last 40 or 50 years, and where that 99% may have come from. How did we get to where we are today? You can look back at statistics and, and, and economic uh, facts and see that in, say, 1965, wealth was more evenly distributed in the United States. People had a much better chance of, of having a job, uh, having a career, retiring with a pension and things like that. And somewhere around 1970, 75, 78, pick a number, the curve went over the top of the hill, and the wealth distribution in the United States began to change. The pace of change has increased dramatically in the last 10 years, so that we're at the state where we are now, where roughly half of the wealth in America is held by 1% of the population, a tiny group of people. How things have changed over the last 30 or 40 years is the subject of, of the book that I'm actually working on right now. Um, it's about the, the changes in America that took place really over the course of, of, of my life. Watching uh, my grandfather have uh, a job and, and a retired with a pension, and then my father doing the same, and wondering how many of my generation will be able to, and knowing, unfortunately, that far too many of my own children's generation, uh, the people who are in college now and, and a little bit older, have almost no chance of, of realizing that. We've seen the distribution of wealth in the United States change dramatically to the point now where 1%, a tiny fraction of the people in America, control almost 50% of, of all of the wealth. The bottom third of our country, the people who are, are poor, the people who are sick, the people who, who perhaps need help the most, control less than, than, than a handful of percentage points of the wealth in this country. Many of them have nothing. This is wrong. This is unfair. This is theft. No one is saying that capitalism isn't good or that people shouldn't be rewarded for their hard work or their good ideas. 
I think it's good that Bill Gates gets more money than me. He's a lot smarter than I am. But there's a point where it gets too much. There's a point where you have to say, leave the bone. We want a little bit. There's a point where by working, bringing your workers to the point where they can't afford your own products to maximize your profits, you're reaching an infinity point where it isn't going to work anymore, where the society itself is going to collapse. And with all that become, comes the things that we've come to take as, as fairly uh, normal in the United States, the lack of faith in institutions, the lack of faith in government, the lack of faith in each other, the feeling that the system is rigged against us, that the laws are, are there for the people who can afford to purchase them, justice has a price, and the rest of us are, are really just sliding downward in, into serfdom. That's certainly where a certain group of people seem to want to take this country, and I am not ready to, to give in to that. What I want to do in the second book is talk about those issues, bring them to people's attention in a, in a way that's hopefully readable, that, that's fiction in, in the sense that it will bring the story to people who don't normally read books about economics or who are not immediately open to the ideas that we sort of toss under the very large umbrella of the Occupy movement. I want to bring this to, to a larger audience. I don't in any way claim to be uh, anywhere as good or to write a book as, as powerful as, as John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath, but I have very much the same goal. Steinbeck, rather than writing in, in a nonfiction way about the horrific conditions of the Dust Bowl and the American Depression, used a fictional family and a fictional setting to tell that story, and by doing that, reached millions of Americans who had been otherwise ignoring the problems of, of, of the, the poor. I want to try to do the very same thing to, to bring this to a larger audience. It's easy to talk about these things, and, and in fact, uh, anyone who listens to uh, any Bruce Springsteen music is very familiar with some of this stuff. But I grew up in, in Ohio during the 1970s in what's now called the Rust Belt, and I saw a lot of this happen. The town where I lived was kind of equally divided, white-collar, blue-collar, but everyone lived roughly the same way. The street that I grew up on, which would kind of be a suburban street, I guess, there were people who worked at the Ford plant, who worked at the Fruhoff plant, and they had the same houses, the same cars, the same backyard swimming pools that my white-collar family had. I don't think we have that anymore in America. I think that blue-collar middle class has become more of a myth than a reality, and I don't think the jobs are going to come back, whether it's Romney or Obama or, or Mickey Mouse in the White House. I think it's time for people to understand where we are economically, socially in the United States, to understand how quickly this all evaporated and start to realize that our common interests in working together are going to have to carry us forward. There's 99 of us to every one of them. That's got to count for something. To read Peter Van Buren's latest article, The Persecution of John Kiriakou, Torture and the Myth of Never Again, please visit TomDispatch.com. You can also find Peter Van Buren's book, We Meant Well, at Amazon.com or at any quality bookstore near you. I'm Timothy McBain, and until we meet again, Thanks for listening.